you're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Uh, Tonight, just a little preface up front. We are, Paul's big message of the book of Philippians is uh, joy is real. Like you really can find joy in this life. And by this point, 18 to 22 year olds, you in some way are growing cynical about that because everything that promises joy has let you down a little bit. And over and over again throughout this book, Paul promises that you actually can taste joy in this life. So we're going to recapitulate. We're going to be going back over that theme once again tonight. And another fair warning, I use a lot of song lyrics tonight. So I had a concussion, okay? Uh, In 1965, the Rolling Stones sang, I can't get no. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, 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 that's what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try and I can't get no, I can't get no. 20 years later, you too sings this. I have run and I have crawled. I've scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Fast forward another 25-ish years and uh, Noah Khan sings this. And I love Vermont, but it's the season of the sticks. And I saw your mom. She forgot that I existed. And it's half my fault, but I just like to play the victim. I'll drink alcohol till my friends come home for Christmas. And I'll dream each night of some version of you that I might not have, but I did not lose. Now your tire tracks in one pair of shoes, and I'm split in half, but that'll have to do. Three artists separated by over 55 years, and they are singing the exact same thing. There is a longing for satisfaction, a feeling that all of us are looking for something or someone that will end our constant searching. It's a hope that something will end our feeling of being split in half as Noah Khan sings. In other words, the Stones, U2, Noah Khan, they're all singing about contentment. And these songs, they continue to speak to us. We keep listening to them. We keep downloading their stuff because we are wildly discontent people. We have a national holiday called Thanksgiving where you go to your homes or you go to grandma's and you stuff your face full of sweet potatoes in every form possible. Marshmallows, pecans on top, I don't know what you do. You eat, you're supposed to be thankful, you're supposed to have gratitude about your life and what you have. And then you go to bed and you wake up the next morning at 3 a.m. or some ungodly hour and you drive all around Nashville with all of your plans coordinated out of what Black Friday shopping spots to hit. Or you don't do that and you sit all weekend on your device looking at all the sales. That is part of our new ritual of thankfulness, is now gorging ourselves on buying stuff, deals of stuff that we think that we need. You all are wrapping up your first semester, maybe your last semester, or some semester in between of your time here at UT. And as you wrap up, I'm positive that as you look back on it, there are so many unmet expectations, longings, desires, needs, hopes, dreams, You're looking back and these things have not been fulfilled. And now you're tempted looking forward 
to view all of life with a little bit of cynicism. Will anything ever satisfy me? We're finishing Philippians tonight by looking at that very issue from Paul. So three questions tonight about contentment. What is contentment? Where is it found? And what does it result in? So first, what is contentment? And as soon as I say that word, contentment, all of us have in our mind's eye some idea of what contentment might be. But I think it's a little harder to put our fingers on it than we might think, because honestly, contentment is something that we have so rarely actually tasted. And when we do taste it, it is so fleeting. But we do know what discontentment is, because that is just the air that we breathe. It's that inner like gut-level eye roll about life. Grumbling, complaining, a jealousy, looking at what other people have or looking at who people are or where they are and thinking if I just had what they have or if I was just more like them, then I'd be better off. It's just that feeling of constant unsettledness. Where I am isn't right. I need to be somewhere else. I need to be moving ahead. I need to be somebody. I need to be somewhere different. So maybe it's easiest to say that discontentment is being unhappy about the circumstances that you're in. Discontentment is being unhappy with your present circumstances. Okay, if that's discontentment, does that mean that contentment is being happy with your current circumstances? No, absolutely not. Paul's not a stoic. He's not telling us that contentment is a state of mind where you block out all the pain. Walk across the coals and don't feel it. That is not contentment. Contentment is not denying the reality of hurt and pain in your life. When you do this, you might be tempted to think that that's contentment, but you're actually just numbing off parts of yourselves, cutting off parts of yourselves, killing part of your soul as you shut whole parts of yourself off. And we know that this is true about Paul because he experiences pain and he is really, really honest about his pain. He doesn't hide it. He's honest about his pain that he experiences. He doesn't tell us that he loves or likes prison. He doesn't give you an illusion that he's comfortable with and okay with the constant fear of torture and execution that he's facing. So yeah, God is calling us to be content, but God is not telling you to like everything that is going on in your life. Contentment is not settling with the way that things are right now, resigning yourself to just accept life as it is right now. I mean, Jesus himself, he tells you to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, look around you at the world. Does it look like the kingdom of heaven? No, it does not. There's still so much oppression and pain and frustration and hurt all around us. And Jesus tells his followers, I want you to pray your kingdom, my kingdom, Christ's kingdom come here on this earth now. Lord, give me the eyes to see what your kingdom would be like and then give me the hands to go about making that kingdom a reality now. So what is contentment? If it's not just settling with the way that life is now. Well, to know what contentment is here, it's helpful to see how Paul uses it elsewhere. And in 2 Corinthians 9, he uses it by saying this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency or having all that you need abundantly, that's the same word that he uses for contentment, 
you may abound in every good work. All that you need. That's what Paul is promising God will give in verse 19. God will supply every need of yours. That's contentment. Having all that you need. All that you need. But what does Paul mean by saying, I've learned in every situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I have all that I need so I can face all the ups and all the downs of life. I have all that I need. When just a little bit further in verse 16, he says, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Hold on a second, Polly, my guy. I thought you just said you have no need. And now you're telling us that the Philippians have met your need. What are you trying to say here? Well, what you need to know is a little bit of Greek. Good news, you don't have to know it. I spent a lot of time and money studying it. All right? And in the Greek, he's using two different words for the word need. Verse 19, or verse 16, I'm sorry. He's referring to something lacking, something that's desired. The Greek translates to a want. But in the first sense, in verse 11, it refers to something that is essential. And we get this, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He's showing the difference between a want and a need. Hang out with the Holt family for a little bit, and you'll uh, see this very quickly expressed. Bear's always telling us about what he needs. Uh, Dad, I need some more Legos. I need a Spider-Man toy. I need a Popsicle. I need Sam to stop biting me. Are those essentials? No, those are not essentials. Those are needs. Those are not needs. Those are wants. Contentment is Zach Brown Band's song, Free. Told you I'm quoting a lot of lyrics. So we live out in our old van, travel all across this land, me and you. We'll end up hand in hand somewhere down on the sand, me and you. Just as free, free as we'll ever be. Just as free, free as we'll ever be. No, we don't have a lot of money. No, we don't have a lot of money. And he just sings this over and over again for a long time. And then he belts out their one true need. All we need is love. Zach Brown is saying strip everything away. Take it all away. The only thing that I really need, all that I truly require to be satisfied in the midst of the ups and downs of life is this person that I love. That's contentment. It's having the one essential thing that allows you to say, so long as I have this, I will be okay. I can face anything. And right now in this room, everyone has something that they would fill that blank in with. There's something deep in your gut, in your heart that you think subconsciously, consciously, so long as I have this person's love or this job one day or this level of attention, respect, admiration, this experience, so long as I have this thing, I will be able to face whatever comes my way in life. A beautiful spouse, marriage, who adore, a spouse who adores you, a beautiful marriage, maybe that's it. As long as I have a job that allows me to live comfortably, support my family, a job that allows me to make a difference in the world, as long as my parents or my peers think that I'm the person that I want them to think I am, I don't know what it is for you, but fill in the blank. 
Having that thing will allow me to face all the storms of life. Whatever that thing is, that is what you look to for contentment. And you were made to have something satisfy that. Something that would allow you to face everything in this life and be okay. Give me the Cyber Monday deal for that. Let's look where contentment is found. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's laying out the syllabus. He's laying out the course content for finding contentment. Because contentment is not something that will come naturally to you. It's not something that comes naturally to Paul. There's no seven steps to contentment. You can't inject that into your veins. You can't take one of it to the face. But it's available to all of us. If you are willing to enroll in the course that Paul prescribes. Brought low, abounding, facing plenty and facing hunger, abundance and need. That's the syllabus. Paul is saying the real way you know you found contentment is plenty and want, abundance and need. Here's what he means. You take whatever it is that you are looking to, that you are basing your life's contentment on, grades, relationship, money, whatever. You take that thing and either experience plenty or want, abundance or need with that thing and it will be exposed for the lie that it is. We set our sights on something, telling ourselves, if only I can have this, then I'll be content. But what happens to people who actually get that thing? One pastor that I love illustrates this point by pulling uh, from a news article written in a New York City magazine years ago. And it's written, the author, she was friends with a lot of actors and actresses who were working as waiters and waitresses and bellhops and things like that before they made their big break, okay? So she's friends with those people, but then she watched as they finally got the big break. And she watched when this happened, when they finally got famous, they turned into monsters. When they finally got the thing that they were looking for, they turned into monsters. And she has this great line in the article, and she says this. When God wants to play a really rotten joke on you, He grants you your deepest wish and then giggles merrily while you realize you want to kill yourself. She's able to say that because she watched people get what they most wanted in life. And it turned out to be an absolute disappointment. She'd seen it. A number of people get abundance. They got plenty. They received their deepest wish. And it didn't bring contentment. They got the plenty. They got the abundance. And instead of getting contentment, they got it and they found despair. And getting the thing that you most want in your life, abundance of it, getting it, it'll do the same thing that need will do. It'll do the same thing that need will do. What happens when you face the reality that the thing that you most want in life, you're never going to get? There's nothing you can do to climb the ladder achieve the thing, follow your dreams, climb every mountain, ford every stream, and get that thing. What happens when that doesn't hit? Despair. Mac Holt was a 20-year-old who had his eyes set on the career of being a crow, 
combat rescue officer in the Air Force. That's what I went to college for. That's what I wanted to do. And I did all these things. I had this very strict regimen and routine of life that I had to follow so that I could achieve this goal. And I woke up February of my sophomore year and I had this very intense pain at my neck and I put my arm out and it was purple and doubled in size. And I went to the ICU while my roommates went for donuts and then took me to the ICU. And the, uh, well, they took me to the hospital, whatever. And in the hospital, they told me, you have a massive blood clot. Um, We're going to have to remove a rib. We're going to have to do some reconstructive surgery on your veins. And you're going to be on blood thinners for the next five years or maybe for the rest of your life, which was terrible. I laid on my back in the ICU for a month. But what was more terrible was as I laid on my back and the reality dawned on me, this thing that I want more than anything else in my life, there's nothing that I can do to get it anymore. I can never be in this career because of this medical condition. Facing want does the same thing as actually getting the thing that you want. It exposes that you will never be content once you get it or once you don't have it. And let's just say you do get that thing, play it out into eternity. What happens when you finally get your deepest heart's desire? C.S. Lewis writes a story picturing what hell would be like. And he says that hell... Uh, It's called the great divorce. And he says that hell will ultimately be getting what it is that you most desire for eternity. God handing you over to what you most desire for eternity. Think about that. But the problem is most of us never really experience the plenty or the want. We've got our dreams. We've got our ideas of what will finally complete us. But very few of us will ever be laid so low as to realize that you're never going to get your dreams. And even fewer of us will ever finally get the riches, the acclaim, the fame, the celebrity that you dream of. And so instead, we live in this strange middle ground of anxiously running about from wish to wish, desire to desire, dream to dream, this endless buffet of possible contentments, thinking that one day I'll get there with something. And that's where most of us are. And I want you to just hit pause real quick. And think about your present level of contentment. UT is great, but it hasn't satisfied you. Your grades and your internships that you work so incredibly hard for, they have not satisfied you. The parties, the Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday nights, Monday nights, I don't know when you party, whatever. The next morning or as soon as the party ends, all that you have is the memory of that night. The relationship that you think is so perfect and will complete you. Let's say you even get married. One day, you will wake up and realize that person has eye boogies. And they're not exactly who you thought they were going to be. They will not complete you. And this will never change. I don't want to be a downer, but I'm going to be. This will never change. No matter how passionate you are about your career and how successful you are in it, it will not satisfy No matter how beautiful your spouse, how perfect they are, they will not satisfy you. No matter how wonderful your little kids are, if they go to Harvard or UT or whatever, their life will not satisfy you. It's not that these things are bad things. These are very good things. They are are wonderful wants to have. But you have to realize that there is nothing in all of creation that will ever meet the one singular, essential need and longing that you have. You won't find it. 
And Paul's saying that that realization is the very thing that is necessary for you to actually find contentment. When it hits you that nothing in this life will ever bring you contentment, nothing on this earth will ever satisfy that one core essential longing, when you really sit with the despair of that reality, nothing you can do, nothing you can find will bring you contentment. That is when you are oh so close to actually finding contentment. And that's why he calls it a secret. It's something that everyone is after, but nobody quite sees. It's hidden. Real contentment lies just behind everything that we are looking to for contentment. And that thing is your God. You look to the gifts for contentment and forget the giver who lies behind them. The creator of all is the one that you must look to for joy and satisfaction. And that's the secret of contentment, where it's found. What you must find, the one essential thing that will enable you to face every circumstance, highs, lows, abundance, need, and yet be able to say, I have all I truly need. I have all that is essential. And here's how Paul describes it. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I wrote that on my basketball shoes when I was in middle school. Thinking like, because I got Jesus, I'm a dunk. (laughs) No, not what this verse means. We think this verse is like promising that if you've got Jesus, you're going to have superpowers and you can do anything that comes your way. Like you can can dunk a basketball. I don't know what your dream is. I still wish I could. Sorry, I'm working out my issues up here. (laughs) It's not what it's saying. Paul's saying, I can face anything. In every circumstance, good and bad, I can have contentment. I can have the peace of knowing that I have the one thing that I truly need because I have Christ. I can do all things through him. Prepositions, y'all. They're important to Paul. They're important to your grammar teachers. They're incredibly important. Prepositions. They matter to Paul. You better take note. I can do all things, face all things, and be content because prepositions and Jesus. Through Christ. In Christ, nothing is more important to Paul than those two words. Take any preposition, pair it together with Christ, you got Paul's thing. That's like his secret. This is secret sauce. This is, never mind. (laughs) I am recovering from a concussion. My mind is everywhere right now. Prepositions. Through Christ, in Christ. Take a preposition, pair it with Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. It means that you are in Christ and that Christ is in you. You are connected to him. He is connected to you. You are prepositioned to him. His life, his perfection. Think about that for a second. Jesus was the most courageous, the most humble, the most selfless person who ever walked this earth. He lived a perfect life, a beautiful life. And because you're united to Christ, if your faith is in him, God now sees you for who you actually are, but with all the accolades of what Jesus has done. And because you're connected to Christ, you're connected to his death. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus was hung up there. And it says that he became your sin for you. Every single sinful thought, word, deed, desire, longing, 
that you have ever done, that you are presently doing, that you will ever do. Jesus hung on the cross and was separated from God, experienced the hell of separation from God so that you would never, ever have to taste that same separation. And so God will never hold your sin against you because it's been paid for completely. And you wear the beauty and the accolades of Jesus. And then he is in you. He lives inside you and he's working inside you like someone renovating an old house. And he's ripping out old fixtures of sin and idolatry. He's exposing all the things that you want to look to contentment for. He's making the veil fall off all that stuff, showing you this can't hold the weight of your life. And he's doing that because he wants you to know him. That is what you were created for, to know him, talk with him, hear from him, adore him, enjoy him, love him, long for him. That's what you were created for. That's the one essential thing that you've got to have, the thing that nothing in life can take from you, the thing that allows you to be content, able to be okay no matter what is happening, no matter what the circumstances are that you face, because you are able to be with your Jesus. I mean, Taylor Swift's got lovers, Zach Brown Band's got the song that I already quoted. Everybody's got some version of this in their music. Take everything away, give me the one person that I love, and I'll be okay. And we love those lyrics, but we kind of hate those lyrics because we've seen too many failed relationships. But why is it that there's something in those lyrics that we can taste? We can almost smell, we can almost feel the truth of what they're singing of. You can picture it. Take everything away, but give me my love and I will be content. It's because it's true. And I don't care how much of a like bro or girl detached from like love and relationships you are, this is what you are longing for. Having Jesus and knowing him, longing for more of him, it really does allow you to face plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and yet be okay. I had lunch with a friend recently who was sharing with me the story of when he lost his dad. His father had unexpectedly contracted an illness and honestly, completely out of nowhere, it went south and his dad died suddenly. He wasn't old. It was a shock. It was a tragedy. So much left unsaid, so much left undone. Experiencing the sudden death of a loved one is a remarkably weighty tragedy. And it's not like life stopped for him. He still had the demands of work and relationships and school. And so I asked him, how in the world Did you get through that? How in the world did you get through that? How did you not just give in to despair, give up, throw in the towel? And he replied by saying that almost every single day during that season, he walked to a nearby park and there he read scripture and he talked with God and he sat there in God's presence and he wept and he expressed his pain and his frustration and his sadness to God. And then he said with tears in his eyes, I've never experienced that sort of closeness, that sort of intimacy with God. Don't you see it? Nothing was okay. But everything was okay. Nothing was as it should be, but an untimely death had just happened and the grief was overwhelming 
and yet he had a closeness with Jesus. That's something that I can describe. And those who haven't tasted this will cynically want to move past it. But knowing and being with Jesus, it really does bring contentment, even in the midst of the deepest grief. This is what you were made for. All right, finally, what does it result in? Briefly, you could hear all this and think that Paul is giving the picture of a Zach Brown, knowing Jesus makes life a beach. I'm going to chill out, sit back, enjoy it, unconcerned with the world around me. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look at everything that Paul lays out in verses 14 through 21. I'm not going to read them, but what he's laying out is this remarkable interdependent network of giving and receiving sacrificially, all for the sake of the gospel moving forward. And this is how God works. He blesses you to be a blessing. He communes with you. He is close to you so that you might bring a closeness to others that they might come to know him as well. He lays out this supreme statement of trust. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. God will supply every need of yours. Do you know what that means? If you are in Christ, there is nothing that you need for this moment that you don't now have. And what you will need in the future, he will supply. Because he loves you. And if he who did not spare his own son, but offered him up for you, how will he not also give you all that you truly need? I don't know what fears you have about the present, about the future. God is promising he will give you all that you need. There's a Bible verse that's not a Bible verse that people like to quote all the time that says, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's not in the Bible. God will give you more than you can handle. He will crush you at times. But it will be okay because even in the midst of that, he is giving you all that you need and what he is giving you is himself. That's the pattern, the smell, the ethos of God. Jesus has everything. Was perfectly content. He was perfectly enjoying a blessed life with the Godhead, with the Father and with the Spirit. But he left that perfect contentment and he came to earth and experienced the depths of human discontent so that you and I might be fully fulfilled by him. That's his pattern. And those who taste his free and generous grace, you can't help but be caught up in the same thing. Bring on the discomfort, bring on the circumstances of plenty and abundance, bring on those of want and need. It is okay, I have my Beautiful Jesus who I've tasted how good he is. And now I get to bring that to others. Paul doesn't taste the contentment of knowing Jesus and then just sit there and chill out and wait. He embraces discomfort. He goes to prison so that he might share what contentment looks like to these people who are desperately searching for it. And look what happens. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. Y'all, people in Caesar's household were becoming Christians because Paul was in chains. That is wild. What if your circumstances don't have to determine your contentment? 
What if being with Jesus and knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and longing for Jesus actually is where joy and contentment could be tasted right now? What if the circumstances that you are being given right now are actually a space for you to practice contentment so that others might see it and come to know the God who's given himself for you? Closing the semester. If you know this God and have wandered far from him this year, looking to a billion other things for contentment, return to your first true love. His arms are open and he loves you and he wants nothing more than to welcome his child back home to his arms. If you have never known this God, why not go to him for contentment? Why not risk placing the eternal weight of your being and your longings and your hope on your creator who made you and loves you and gives you good gifts and can free you from the constant cycle of discontent that we live in? Let's pray. RUF is a community of students that is trying to learn how to love God, love people, and love the University of Tennessee. The way that we do that is to create safe places for students of all types and backgrounds to process the story of Jesus and to learn how to integrate their lives into his story. For more information, follow us on Instagram at UTK underscore RUF or visit our website at www.ruf.org slash UTK.